You're listening to Modded. And on today's episode, we have Eric Lamb. So, uh, Eric, I first met you, <coughs> it was probably Spocom, like 2019, I think. I think so. You had come down for the LA show, and we had met up, I think, at um, that shop, the air suspension shop. Uh, Air Runner. Air Runner, right? Yep. We met up at the shop. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't officially an endless at the time. And uh, we had all just driven up from San Diego that morning. And I forget, it was, uh, we had late rolling, I think, because we were there. <clears> the sun <throat> was out. Um, and then I don't know why you and I decided to race at all but i had just it I, I don't know it was like pretty recent that i had come over from texas yeah and i hadn't like really uh put any power down on the engine since i got there like no one really wanted to race it's a whole lot different than being in in houston where you feel like you're just driving anywhere and someone wants to pull up next to you and and, and race but um you at the time i think were a little bit slower than you are now yeah just a little bit but i think at that exact moment it was because I was tuned on E85, but driving down from you know NorCal, I had to empty out the 85, and I think I had 91 in there, so the power went way down. Yeah. So you know, it's it. I figure I was probably like right around 500 or so, but mm -hmm. the car's a tank. Yeah. And I uh, I think it was it was neck and neck. I did miss a shift, like second going to third. <clears throat> it's always hard for me to hit it. I don't know what's up with my transmission, the bushings or whatever, but. I think we were pretty close, but I mean, if you had any bit of E in that car, you would have definitely, you would have definitely beat me for sure. Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was fun because we were just burning gas. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true, right? I had too much, and I was like, well, we might as well do a couple of pulls on the street, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a fun time. That that probably the first time I had raced really anybody since I had come to California from yeah. Texas. But um, tell us like where you're <clears throat> from originally. Okay, so I was actually born. In Sacramento, I think I was there for maybe a couple couple years of my life, and we moved down to L.A., specifically in the San Gabriel area. So most of my life was pretty much down there. Uh, you know, I grew up from yeah probably when I was about four till my junior year of high school, and at that time my mom was you know works she worked at a factory and you know sewing factory and stuff and it wasn't doing good. So she decided to move back up because my aunt has a success, successful restaurant business up in uh, uh, Cameron Park. Mm -hmm. So we moved back up here and my senior year of high school, which I dreaded. Like I didn't want to move because, you know, you're in high school, you're, you're attached to all your friends, you don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a good thing I left because that's where I developed my uh, car, you know, car addiction. Uh, one of my good friends in high school, his name is Alan, Alan Lou. He used to bully me in school, but it, it was awesome because he, he bullied me to toughen me up, but at the same time, he was into cars. Mm -hmm. And I was specifically into Mark III Supras. Uh, his brother had one in uh, when he was in, col in college, and my dad bought one brand new, and that's exactly how I got into Super Game. Because he had a Mark III, but it was sitting in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. It wasn't down in L.A. with us. And I'm kind of glad that happened because he would have probably just ended up selling the car. So that that's that's where it started with the Mark III, and that's how I got into Supra specifically. And did your dad was he into no. cars? Time? No, he just you know he came came to America from you know Vietnam, and that's the first car he bought. You know worked hard and 
That's the first car he bought. He, he bought that in 88, so I was like two years old when he bought that car. So it was kind of cool. Back then, it was cool. Yeah. What ended up happening to that car? I still have it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I still have it. It's, it's been sitting for 13 years. I parted it out mm. because I made a dumb decision of turning it into a uh, wannabe race car. Took the AC out and all that stuff, oh, which yeah. was dumb. But And at the time, I actually... Part, when I parted that car, I just bought the Green Mark Four, yeah. and I drove that more because it was just little things. It had AC. It was an awesome car, six-speed car, and uh, I was kind of sad. But now I was like, I might eventually restore that car. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take some time, but it'll get there. Do you think that you would do it as like an OEM plus, or are you gonna go? Uh definitely not OEM plus. I'm probably gonna. Spice it up a little bit, maybe keep keep it OE on the exterior, yeah. but definitely a 2J swap, you know, T56 swap, make it nice, maybe all around like seven, seven, eight hundred horsepower car. Is it gonna have AC? It's gonna have AC. It's, gonna have AC. <laughs> it's funny enough, before I, I got here, I was actually we went to uh, that Italian place that's right over here, me and my buddy. But okay. He, he took his, um, on the right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Had to meet it's popular, there. popular places. It, it, the place is good. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to it before. Yeah, just but expensive as hell. It is. <laughs> 60 bucks. Yeah. Man, you know, 60 bucks for lunch. That's yeah, San Jose is no joke out here. Really. Yeah. Food's expensive. But we took his STI. Um, it's pretty recently built, but it's rotated. Turbo setup. And I was like, hey, man, did you take out the AC in this thing? He's like, no. If I, if I run the AC, the coolant temp gets too high. And I was like, ah, damn. And I, I keep telling him, you know, the more you do to it, the less comfortable it gets. And really, you have to find the balance. Like, what's what do you want to sacrifice? What do you want to keep? How comfortable do you want to be in it? And, yeah, it's, it's warm. It's kind of warm today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cooler than it's been. But I definitely see myself keeping uh, the AC in my car for a yeah. while. No, for sure. But then, so let's go back <laughs> to um, the Supra. So your dad had it. got had you interested kind of in cars. So then... What was the first car where you were like, I'm going to start tinkering with this thing? The first car I actually wanted was a Integra sedan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually, you know, a lot of people ask me, hey, was the Super your dream car? Well, no, actually it was a you know, 94 to 01 four-door Integra. I always wanted to build one. That was my high school dream car. Why the four-door versus the two? I don't know. It just, it's just something about the four-door. I mean, two-door is cool. But something about the Forder I just like more. And obviously, you could throw passengers in there. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. The Type R is, is a dope car. And that's a different you know, different league. But I wanted to keep the Forder and build something like that. And then did you eventually get an Integra? Yeah, I did. Okay. I got one about 10 years ago. It's now currently being built. But I'm so busy here doing so many things that yeah. the car is actually in Sacramento. Got painted, but just haven't had time to actually put it together so then what did you what did you buy because you bought that 10 years ago what did you buy before that so before that i had a 95 95 uh, civic uh ex coupe and that was my just daily driver uh because I, when i moved out here i figured a super wasn't going to be a, a smart daily driver because one it, it consumed gas like crazy i daily it for about three years it was awesome but i wanted to turn it slowly get into doing car shows so it would take time to get built, and I need another car. So from you know, not the Civic Coupe did me good for about two years until I found the Integra. It had an LS swap in it, so it, it was all right. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was just mm-hmm. a daily driver. So then you go from the Civic over to the Integra. To the Integra, and uh, that was my daily for the longest time up till about a 
COVID actually until the lockdown. Right. Um, it was it started automatic. It's life with an automatic LS. The the reason uh, I picked it up for hella cheap because it was actually one of my uh, buddy's friends that didn't want to get rid of the car. I got I ended up buying a car for two hundred fifty bucks. Damn. And it was specifically what I wanted. I wanted one without a sunroof, so I can do a Type R clone. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a it was stock for about four years, and then I decided to do a GSR swap. I bought a wrecked uh, chassis from my buddy in Sacramento, Alan. He was selling for dirt cheap, two grand. He was like, come and take, just take it. Get out of my life. Cool. Say no more. Bought it. And I literally took everything out of that car and threw it in the four-door. And uh, it was still my daily, but it was GSR swap and, and five-speed swap. So then when does the MK4 come into play? So the MK4 came into play in about 2009. Summer of uh, June 25th, to be exact, of 2009. I ended up, have, one of my buddies in Sacramento, he actually had like, I think five Mark five Mark fours at the time, and he was unloading because he just got married. He has you know mm-hmm. starting to have a family. I think he was just reducing his stable to like maybe one or two, and he was just getting rid of it. And uh, he kept he kept bugging me for for years. So, hey, do you want to buy a Mark four? I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I can't afford it. There's no way. Yeah. I was a broke 19, 19 year old. Didn't have the money to buy you know thirty six thousand dollar car. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, eventually, I just decided to say, hey, he's like, hey, I need some work done. Okay, what do you need done? Like, you know, I could do some stuff. He's like, I need some maintenance work and some engine work just so I can sell the car. Okay, cool. And the smart thing of him, he was a he was a car salesman at Toyota. He was like, here, go go ahead and uh, take my car. Um, you know, when you get done, just, just let me know. I'd never driven a Mark IV up until that point, and when I drove it, I automatically fell in love with it because it was so much better in every aspect than my Mark III. And my Mark III was my daily at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though it was like 610 horsepower on a 1J, it's just, you know, little things. As I got older, I didn't have AC. It, it, it's I have heater. It was cool, but, you know, little things here and there always broke because I daily drove it, and it was modified. It was single turbo. It's on the AMV1. Um, did a lot of stuff to that car. It was my pride and joy. But I just started to lose interest just because, like, it was hard to drive. I yeah. had to think about where I had to drive it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, old, old Toyotas, you know, the keys, you could stick any key into the cylinder and it'll probably fire right up because the cylinder is so worn out. Yeah. You know, I had to start to really think about that. And then, uh, yeah, I bought the Mark IV, just drove it, fell in love with it, and kind of kicked the Mark III in the back burner. But what makes that one special? Because I know it's the 15th anniversary, so... Uh, expand on what the 15th anniversary <clears throat> so 15 years was the 15th anniversary was when they officially s- divided from the Celica so after I think believe I believe it was 82 so 82 was the first year they s- introduced it as the Celica Supra but that was when they divided the Celica so mm-hmm. at 97 was the 15 year of the split mm-hmm. and honestly it's it was nice I actually really liked the 92 the 97s, they're the newer updated version of that chassis where they had a, you know, slightly different bumper, new headlights, taillights, um, little little knickknacks inside the interior. And it, it was just a lot nicer to me, in my opinion. And then the color, uh, it's OEM, right? <clears throat> it's an OEM color. It's a deep jewel green. Deep jewel green. You don't see a lot of them around. Not I mean, a lot. Hardly any. Hardly any. I mean, more so now because I think... A lot of people appreciate the color now, yeah. 
you know, even when I bought the when I bought the car, I didn't care for it. I, I was like green. I was like I don't want it. But at the time, my buddy was like, "Hey, I got two ninety sevens that you could pick from. You could pick a white one." I'm like, "Ooh, I want the white one." But it's automatic. I'm, uh, I don't want it automatic. And he's like, "Well, you're, then your choice would be the green, but it's a six speed. It's the original twin turbo six speed." I'm like, okay, fine, I'll take that. I, I, at the time, I didn't care. I was like, ah, I'll just repaint it to, you know, they have a blue that was really nice, the RSP. Yeah. I could do the um, Quicksilver, the Quicksilver, which was only offered in '98. And then eventually, over the time, I just it grew on me. I really liked the green, and I think it's the same thing with the crowds. You know, nowadays, you know. 15 years ago, no one cared to have a green one because it was ugly. It was a color that it was a color that no one wanted. Mm-hmm. And now it's, everyone wants it because it's kind of rare. Yeah. So in 97, I believe there's only 100, 101 that was produced that was a 6-speed twin turbo. And I mean, I think overall, I think maybe it was only a couple hundred units that are in that color. And then now you've become the green jelly bean. Or yeah, it's I mean, become the green it's jelly become bean. the green jelly bean, and, and it's crazy because even ten years ago, kids would tell me, "Oh, the green is the ugliest color in the world." Now they're like, "Oh, the green's badass." I'm like, "Well, t- times are changing." So then, what started on that car first? Take us through the process. So what started with that car was I was supposed to leave it stock, but coincidentally, I have the owner of this car here in the, in the garage. He uh, gave me my first mod. He gave me a downpipe. For free. He's like, hey, dude, just take my downpipe, throw it on your car, see how you like it. And from there, as soon as I put the downpipe, it wakes the car up. I was like, okay, I want to no start tune. No tune. You know, these, these are old school cars. They they run pick rich from factory. So yeah. even if you threw, threw an intake exhaust in, the, in a downpipe, you don't need a tune. You just need a boost cut controller and a <clears throat> fuel cut. Or, uh, yeah, boost cut controller and the uh, you pull the track fuse off so you can go over 120 miles an hour <laughs> so little things like that but yeah this coincidentally this guy is the reason why i started modding the car i told myself i was gonna leave it stock but yeah it didn't it didn't, it didn't end that way so and then what happens next then? so i just went through the phases you know your typical you know they call it you know what you would call a stage one would be what we call bpu basic performance upgrades you know intake exhaust downpipe intercooler all the basic stuff you could just throw on bolt on and just drive mm-hmm. so i did i went through that phase and you know i, I dynoed the car i made like four 420 or 420 horsepower on stock cams it, it was it was fun but it's just something about at the time everyone's doing big single turbos oh man i want you know i had, I had a single turbo 1j on the mark 3 <clears throat> and the shop i used to work for we built specifically uh, differentials like that's all we specialize in but my boss had a race car. I'm like, dude, this this dope. I want it. I want a 1200 horsepower car, a race car. And that's the that's kind of why I went with that direction in the Mark III. But then when I got the Mark IV, I was like, oh, just stock. Don't want to do nothing to it. But in the back of my mind, I always want a mod because you buy a Mark IV to have you know thousand horsepower. Everyone expects that, and yeah. I kind of expected that. I was like, oh yeah, man. You go to Houston, and it's like everybody wonders. And and I have friends too that just had. Uh, supers that are tame out there, but they would tell me every time they go to a gas station, some kid pulls up and it's like, it's a thousand, right? It's a thousand, at least a thousand, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and you know, even back then, they're like, it's at least a thousand, especially in Texas. Yeah. You know, king of road racing, you know, road racing or highway racing guys out there. And nowadays, kids automatically expect that it's a thousand horsepower mm-hmm. stock. It's like, no, dude. <laughs> I don't know what, what fantasy land you live in. Yeah. But <laughs> that, 
give, I guess, like your best guess to get to a thousand cost wise. What are you looking at and what components to get there? You know, if it was me 15 years ago when I was younger, I could probably piece something together and it'll work. And I could do it cheap. Maybe if I, if I do it cheaply, maybe about 15 grand. And, and it'll work. And it'll make a thousand. How 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 effective it is? That's a different story, you know. Because you're now you got to worry about traction, mm-hmm. if you can actually lay it down. Because the running joke back in the day was, yeah, you can run a thousand horse. You have a thousand horsepower. You run, you, but you still run twelve seconds at a quarter mile, mm-hmm. because nobody knows how to launch it. Nobody know, nobody knows how to drive it, so it's hard. But nowadays, if you bring it to modern day, where if I have to do it all over again, I would go the route that I did, which is you know running a Motec, having a tuner that's competent that can help you with traction control and everything so you actually lay down the power uh-huh. but it's a it's a it's a but it's double if not triple the cost because everything's so so much more expensive yeah definitely i've noticed e- even since doing my build um from the time that i started to where we are now we're looking at like that, that's 30 percent at least that i've noticed 30 percent cost increase oh, yeah. on everything especially like bars components are like 30 oh, yeah. percent more uh, and we, we blame it on the pandemic and supply chain and things like that, but inflation takes a part in it too. You know? Yeah, it's that's a whole different game now than if we were starting like when we were starting it out. Oh yeah, and, and you know with and with that, a lot of guys, I get this all the time. Would you sell your car and start all over again? Like no, mm-hmm. unless someone gives me a ridiculous price or my go away price, which is you know in the high two hundred thousands, which is unlikely. No one's gonna buy that. If I don't get that, I'm, I wouldn't start again because everything on this car is discontinued now. And if you do find it, parts are like, there's the super tax is real. Yeah, it's insane. And and upon my recent discovery, you know, Varus doesn't make a lot of stuff for Rydox anymore. A lot of, like the, the the front splitter, mm-hmm. the um, the wing, the hatch visor, a lot of little tidbits. They're all discontinued. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like I can't start all over again because if I start all over again. You know, price plays a big part. Yeah, and uh, the same buddy that has his STI, we were just talking about it, and <clears throat> I have to imagine part of the reason why is not the demand, but the molds that they're using, yeah. right? Because they're, they're known to use the one mold for everything, and now you're talking about several runs of product that have gone through it and age. Yep. Naturally, there's some tendency for that mold to go back, yeah. right? And I've been to the shop, and I've seen their graveyard of molds that they just have sitting out there, right? They're just not going to use them. But then again, they don't want them also going into the wrong hand. So I think part of that is that they've just, they've just aged. You yeah. Know? And they would have to redo it, you know, from the start. Right. But their, um, when I talked to them, their, their policy was always that we start with a brand new car so that there's no chance that whenever we mock this up, there's going to be an error in how we form it and it then not fitting into someone else's car. Because you run that risk, even if it's got a couple thousand miles on it, something can be different yeah. and then it's not true, right? It's not a true fit. Yeah. Um, so I can see that's one of the reasons. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'm grateful for that because when I got the authentic products kit, blinded. I didn't even fit. I, t- I didn't even test fit it on a car. Yeah. I literally handed it to my guy, had him paint it, and I threw it on the car, lines right up. Mm-hmm. Was it was it worth it? It was pretty pricey, but just knowing that it was authentic, yep. that that made me sleep a lot better at night. And I could see why they, you know, discontinued because it, the kit was designed in two thousand two, mm-hmm. when 
Orito originally designed kit. And for them to have it run, you know, 23 years, or 20 years actually, it's quite impressive. Because yeah. not a lot of people bought it back in the day because everyone's like, oh, why would I spend this kind of money on this kit? Oh, for sure. And, yeah. and you know, under my impression, when I first got my Shine Auto kit, when they replicated it, my thought was, everyone was saying, oh, it's discontinued. If you want, the, especially, you know, there's a company out in Texas, one of the big super game, uh, super uh, st- uh, guys that own the shop out there, and they run, they sell a lot of stuff. And they were the ones telling, they linked up with Shine, and they were saying, hey, you want these kits? You got to get through us. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, you know, the real Radox kit is discontinued. And that's what I believed at the time. And then until one of our, one of my friends moved to Japan, and uh, he, he, he actually designs kits for race cars like they they take it to the track and he does all the aerodynamics and stuff like that um his name is andrew uh, brilliant he's a smart dude he's originally a bay area native moved out to japan he's he uh he's been there for 15 years maybe 15 years and uh yeah one night i just bugged him i was like yeah man i'm kind of sad that the you know rodox doesn't exist anymore he's like what are you talking about it's like dude i party with oritos like he still sells a kit like you can still buy them and he linked me to one of his suppliers out there, and I was able to buy everything direct, so no middleman. So I saved quite a bit of money, but had to spend uh, quite a bit of fee- brokerage fees to get everything here. Of course, yeah. But it was still a lot cheaper than going through, you know, guys like Bulletproof Automotive or anybody that was a mm-hmm. supplier. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of that, you've been doing this for a long time now. You've yeah. been buying cars for a long time now. Can you think of an instance where you've gotten ripped off by somebody? Luckily, I never got ripped off heavily. I learned a lot um, because a lot of a lot of the stuff I do myself. But the most recent one was when I probably built the black car. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a shop that I used to that I always got my parts from. Never had a problem, and uh, I don't know what happened. It's just. This, this was the first time I actually had to deal with it. Uh, to this day, the guy owes me money. He owes me a motor. Probably never going to see it. <clears throat> um, and going through legal battles and stuff like that, I don't think it's worth it to me. Yeah. I'd rather just you know, sweep it on the rug and just move on. Yeah. Uh, but that was a pretty bad experience. Told me that I was getting a motor built for that black car. Supposedly, it was only three months, but it took nine months. And dropped like... 40, 40 grand with a guy. Told him to get everything. He's gonna say he's gonna build me a custom harness. Uh, this is where I wasn't gonna go with the Motec because I felt that you know the green car has it. I didn't need it on the black car. I was maybe doing a Haltech or even a Pro E5. So I bought. I gave him the money for a Haltech and then I decided to change my mind because my tuner likes the uh, Pro EFI or Motec more. And I was okay. Let's make a change. And he's like, Yeah, no problem. Let's do it. Still to this day, never saw a harness, never saw a ECU. He gave me some money back, but not everything. Did you get a motor? Did you block? I, 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 I got the motor. Um, I was just grateful that I got the motor. Uh, I was pushing him. I showed up to the shop almost every week, just bugging him. I mean, it, it was. I've never been so mad at someone in my entire life. Yeah. Not even my ex girlfriend. <laughs> but it was just frustrating because I given this guy so many opportunities, and all I got was just excuses and it just kept delaying and for me to get the motor back i didn't care about anything else because that motor was like a ten thousand dollar motor i just didn't want to lose that 
and that's the original block and head for that car. So luckily I got it back and I decided, you know what, I'll go with a Motec. So I bought a Motec. For the time being, uh, I just bought a patch harness, made it work with the stock harness, modified what I needed to modify to make it run. But uh, I actually ended up started building a mil-spec mil harness for it. Never finished it, but it's in that bag over there. Going to eventually finish it for the new owner. Because I told him that it was supposed to be a package that he, you know, he's getting with it. Yeah, and I think even with the most trusted of shops, people that you've gone to in the past, there's always a risk, and I think people will just have to face that. You know, like it's part of it's part of this, unfortunately, right? So it's a reality, um, and in, at least it wasn't as bad as it as it could have been. You got some money, you got the money, yeah. right? Yeah. It was just yeah, it was it was uh it was really frustrating. It's it. I actually stressed out over that more than I did at my job. Mm. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Even my boss was like, "You all right, man?" It's like, ah, going through some personal stuff outside of work, but I wouldn't let it affect me until I got home. <laughs> and you get it. I mean, sure, it's like a, it's an object, but you know, it's it's your effort that went into getting the money for that yeah. thing, right? It's a lot of your time that you might never see back. Right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's probably about the only time I got ripped off. I mean, other, all the other stuff in the past when I was younger, just dumb little things. Like, yeah. I would go to the flea market, buy some cheap amp, but expect it to be something crazy, but overpaid for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, those are all small things, but it was a learning experience. Yeah. And, you know, to do my research first before I actually start. You know, have, just, have any of your cars given you any headaches? Not Nothing major. Even the Mark III, I had, you know, my biggest problem in the Mark III was little, always little things that broke. It was either a coolant line that would leak, start leaking because of, you know, the heat. And, you know, back then I was, I was 19, you know, 19-year-old with a 600-horsepower car. I thought that was pretty crazy, but, you know, I didn't spend a lot of money on, on fine details as I would now. Yeah. So, never really, never really left me stranded. Had little problems here and there. But nothing crazy, nothing too crazy. So then let's talk fine details here because right now we're in your garage here. There's a MK4 Supra right above your head, yep. the lift, right? And we've all seen your Instagram where you have the craziest tools. You've got XRP products that you run. Where did that all start? And then also give us an idea of the cost associated with all this stuff. So the funny thing is, me, so my, my buddy that, you know, that I live with, my roommate, Charlie, awesome guy, you know, he, he, he is the backbone of who I am today as a built cars, because whenever I did things, he would always question me, he'll come up and say, you sure about that, like, why, why would you do that way, why don't you do it this way, I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that, mm. or it's like, I can't afford it, so, you know, small history is, Charlie, he used to, motor, he used to race uh, motorcycles, Spe specifically 250, like RC 250s, Gray area, uh, gray market bikes, <clears throat> and he just knew a lot of stuff based on his uh, cycling history, and he applied it towards motorsports. <clears throat> so when he asked me, he was like, "Hey, why you know why are you using Summit you know Summit lines like that's cheap stuff like why don't you use XRP?" I'm like, he said, "I can't afford XRP. It's like double the cost." Yeah. But not realizing how many times I would replace that cheap Summit hose because it, over the years it would just crack and dry up and break. So one year. Um, he decided, hey, let's, you want to, you want to buy, buy XRP machine? I'm like, what's it cost? 
And we, we picked it up around 2016, and we got it for a decent price uh, compared to nowadays. I mean, now, nowadays, price is pretty uh, pretty insane. But at the time, I believe we bought the machine for about 1600 All the dies and everything. We probably spent about three grand. We, we, we split it in half. And that's when I started to see a lot of the fine details. Yeah. Like, going through the catalog with XRP. Like, I memorized the entire catalog. Exactly what I need to get. Just... I have to look it up just for part numbers. Yeah. Um, and that's where I was like, cool, these clamshell things are fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do that. And he was the one that said, hey, why don't you do this? Say, hey, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And, work, you know, living with him for the last 10 years, and he, he's, he's really smart. He applies himself really, really well, and he's like, you know what? If there's someone that's out there that's smart enough, they will make it a way, that, they'll make it easier. They're going to work smarter, not harder. So I started applying all these little things like quick disconnects and, um, you know, trying to proof the build. So if I were to build a car to, for someone, I wanted to make sure that never they never had to worry about it. That's how I would apply it because I wouldn't want to fix it. Mm-hmm. All those years with the Mark III, you know, hose is going bad because I'm using soft lines near the turbo, downpipe, what you, you whatever you have. Mm-hmm. It would go bad. And I'm just trying to be like, I don't drive this car often, but at the same time, if I drive down to L.A., mm-hmm. you know, two, three or times Vegas. a year, or Vegas, yeah. which I do for mm-hmm. Supers in Vegas or any car shows down to L.A., I want to make sure I don't, you know, I'm not stranded on the side of the road. Yeah. So that's where I learned, you know, like when I did all the wastegate lines, I would do, run hard lines instead of soft lines or anything like that. Because in the past, the hard, soft lines I seen go bad, like on my bo- my old boss's car. He would go down the drag race uh, in Sacramento. He would go down the strip. And the downpipe cooked his uh, vacuum lines just because it was so close to it. And he overboosted and blew his motor. So I was like, you know what? Uh, let's do hard lines though, because I don't have to worry about that. And I seen someone do it back in the day. Uh, one of my buddies, Alex, he is a, he's over at a Big Head uh, Garage. He does a lot of custom fab stuff. He has a badass Nova with a 2J in it. And I saw him do hard lines for the first time in my life. I'm like, dude, that's sick. But at the time, I did not do any of that stuff. It's expensive and time, you know? But eventually, when I had the materials, I just took a crack at it. And believe it or not, Lloyd's Carb was the first one I did hard lines on for a turbo. And after that, I was like, this is not terrible. I can yeah. do this. And then from there, just experiencing, you know, how much, you know, when to be- how to bend the lines, where to flare it, how to actually do all that stuff. It comes with time, with experience. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the way to go for reliability. For it's reliability, yeah. yeah. As long as you, you know that the hard lines flared correctly and... It's built correctly. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And I did do it on the green car, and it, it worked awesome, but it was a pain in the ass because I did it with everything in the car. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned on the black car. I did it on the on the the with the motor on the on the stand. And I, I think it came out really nice for the black car. Yeah. And it, yeah we saw it at, at Spokane. And again, yeah. It came out really, really nice. And especially when you have these high horsepower builds, like it, your engine bay is going to run hotter. Like plain and yeah. simple, you get your built motor. You have to take that into account. Oh, yeah. You just stick with the same OEM rubber hoses with whatever rating, right? Yep. And then the other thing that you that you realize that I realize is like anytime you have something that's coming into contact with another component, it's going to rub in there too. Especially the stiffer your chassis is, yep. if you got solid engine mounts. That's just more vibration <clears throat> that's translating through the body. And it just leads to a higher chance of something getting rubbed through, for sure. Right. And, and you know, with that, 
that's where I learned. Uh, one of he's he's to to me he's a good friend of mine now. Uh, been uh, been dealing with this guy named uh, Tanner Tanner Goki at Goki's Garage. Right. He's out in uh, Sacramento. And little things like he would critique every little thing I do, but he's doing it to foolproof the things I do to make it better. It's constructive criticism, and I think that's where a lot of people take it as, "Oh, that's oh, you're shit talking." It's like that's where I respect him because he's just looking after me. And the same thing with with my buddy Charlie. He'll question why I do it this way because, I, oh well, you know, if you do it that way, it might rub or it might do something and it might cause a problem, and it makes you, you know think twice about how you're going to actually execute something yeah i feel like we're not as open to to criticism yeah these days these days yeah we want to automatically label it as you being a hater to whatever it is that you're doing right and don't get me wrong i I do feel that sometimes but i have to step back and think about it it's like you know what Mm -hmm. he's looking after my best interest and i I think he's right i have to think about that i have to set my ego aside Mm -hmm. you know because it you know it it, you know it it hurts my ego a little bit but i have to set it aside to really think because okay He's, he has a valid point. And for me to thoroughly go over and think it, it's like, okay, I'll admit my faults. Like, I think he's right. And you know what? I'll do it that way. And he's coming from experience because it happened to him. Yeah. And I get it. And, you know, some people like, you know, Tanner, he's a little rough around the edges, but he only means well. Mm-hmm. And, and I respect that guy for that. Yeah, and you're, you're partly to thank for the way, the route that we went on the trunk set up too. You know, it's right. you were questions on, XRP and stuff. I've mm-hmm. got all that stuff in the trunk. I'm planning on doing some more of that stuff for the air system. I've dealt with enough leaks to just say, like, let's get rid of this quick connect stuff that they have and just go with something solid. Like, all the lines are tested beforehand, too. Mm-hmm. You've introduced me to the shop that's up there. It's not too far away from me. So yeah. I, I've, I've been there more times than I can count doing the trunk setup, too. So yeah. I think that's a good way to go. So yeah. definitely thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. And then, um, where you're at with the Supra now, do you see yourself going further with it? You also have the black car, and I think you sold that one. Yeah, right? yeah, I recently sold it the, the, earlier this year. And the black car is, is a prime example of everything I learned in my time of wrenching on cars, which dates back to 2003. And everything I learned, what failed, what worked, I applied it on the car, and in conjunction with working with Tanner, I think I did a really good execution on that car. And with the green car, yes, it's never going to end. It's There's another phase I want to bring on the table, but it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. Because right now, I'm, I'm mainly waiting on a built motor for that car. Mm-hmm. And then once that comes in, everything might change. So is up in the air for a transmission. Um, you know, I am going to redo a lot of stuff. Uh, new intake manifold, drive-by-wire. I'm, I'm going to finally utilize, fully utilize this Moltec M150 I have. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's just it's acting like a 130, which is half the half of what M150 is, and I just don't think I'm using my $4,500 wisely. <laughs> what do you What do you got power wise in the green car? So in the green car, it did make over a thousand back in the day with the AEM Infinity, but you know, with it being a stock motor and on a Motec, a tuner specifically said, "Hey, we shouldn't go too crazy because you're still in a stock block. Last thing I want to do is have you you know throw rods out the side of the block." Mm-hmm. So I I never dynoed it, but based on the numbers and everything that my me and my tuner went over, we're probably right around seven fifty. Mm-hmm. We quite we do we detune it quite a bit. Yeah, just for safety sakes. And it is wild what you can get out of the stock block. Yeah. compared to my little four cylinder. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, they definitely over engineered that thing. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, I, I even put, I, I even put my uncle's STI together. He had 06 uh, STI back in the day. Mm-hmm. And we did, you know, everything under the sun with my buddy Kevin, uh, a good friend of mine. He actually lives out in uh, San Diego too. But uh yeah, we we did uh turbos. Actually no, I take that back. We stock turbo, but you know, we did the up pipe headers. We did external wastegate mod, like we did all this stuff. And he only made 360 because if he went any higher, it would just grenade oh, the ringlands. Sure. <laughs> so I definitely know where, you know, I, I res- this is where I respect Subaru guys. It's, it's very tempting because they're like, I want more. But when you step in that territory, it's it's quite expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, you set yourself up for heartache for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, for sure. You have to really love the chassis to stick with oh. it, to stick to the heartache. And it, it's funny where we are with the with the Supras now, what the market is doing now. I remember looking at, there's actually a, a car and driver from 2012, I want to say, that said the best 25 cars to get for under $25,000. Yeah. And the Supra is on there. The NSX is on there. A Miata is on there. To think that you could get like all three the yeah. $25,000. I was like, yes, sure, the Miata, but then an NSX and a Supra MK4, right? And here we are now where it's like 100000 Sure, you could see that $100,000 yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Because even even when I bought my car in 2009, it was, it was kind of high because it was right after the recession. And then for some odd reason, right around 2011, 2012, it dipped pretty hard for the Mark, the Mark IV. I remember talking to a guy out here when I first moved out to San Jose that he had a, he had a, a white 97, maybe had 30,000 miles on it. He was like, yeah, if I get 25 grand out of this thing, I'm like, I'll be happy. I'm like, dude, I should just get rid of my green card and just buy this white one. He's original, 30,000 miles, six-speed Supra. But, you know, I was broke. Yeah. I, I didn't have all, all, Yeah, there's, all, there's no way. Yeah. You know, I'm already, I'm already making payments on one car. There's no way I could buy another one. Yeah. But... The things I would do with the money I have now. I know. Right? <laughs> if only we were just different humans back then. Yeah, Seriously. Times. It's crazy how much has changed in the last 10, 11 years. Yeah. Especially for cars. Oh, for sure. Like, I go back and uh, still look occasionally. Like, GSR Integris. Clean ones. $10,000. you got to be kidding me. That's as much as what it cost when I was in high school mm-hmm. for a used one. It's crazy. Yeah, man, I remember looking through the penny savers and the free ads and yeah. seeing those cars. I remember I saw an NSX on one of those penny savers, and I think it was like they wanted 32, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was not bad at yeah. the time, too, and it was low miles, but different times now. Yeah. yeah. But thanks, Eric, for sitting <clears throat> down with me. Yeah. I'm excited to see where you go with the green car, because, I mean, the chassis has so much potential. Like, There's no end to what you can do to it. The same way with my chassis, there's no end to the amount of money that you could throw into that, you know, but we do it because we love it. Right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so thanks again, man. Yeah, no more. Nice to see it. Yeah, for sure.